Hello, everybody! Welcome back to North Idaho Now. This is episode 191 for December 23rd, coming up on the holiday weekend. Chance Watson bringing you the news today, as always. This episode is brought to you by Hecla Mining Company. Hecla Mining Company is a leading low-cost silver producer with operating silver mines in Alaska, Idaho, and Mexico, and is a growing gold producer with operating mines in Quebec, Canada, and Nevada. They are the largest primary silver producer in the U.S., responsible for one-third of the silver produced in our nation. Their philosophy is to operate mines safely by promoting a deeply rooted value-based culture, leveraging mining skills developed over the company's long history, and by innovating new practices. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, please visit heclamining.com. Calm. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show, bringing you some local news on this very chilly, very snowy Friday afternoon. Hope you guys are staying warm. Hope you guys are staying safe. Uh, got a great interview with you guys today. Just a short, uh, just a quick one. Not not a not a normal in-depth one that we got, but just a quick check-in with uh, Megan Johns with Idaho Transportation Department. You know that uh, if there's any people that are really, really busy with uh, the most recent freezing and uh, snowy weather, it's going to be Idaho Transportation Department. So they've been dealing with a little bit going on. Megan's going to come on the show and just talk a little bit about that, give you guys some tips uh, for the winter season, and uh, then we'll scoot right into the local headlines. Uh, once again, please remember to subscribe to the show on whatever podcatcher or app that you listen in on, whether that be Spotify, Pandora, uh, Apple Podcasts, Player FM, whatever whatever your uh, choice may be, please subscribe to us so you can get every episode as soon as it comes out. And leave us a nice review of the show. We really appreciate that here at North Idaho Now. Uh, folks, I've been – this is usually the time of year that we talk about Christmas movies or Christmas-themed stuff. Um, boy, all I can think about it, – it, this is not necessarily my cup of tea. Uh, those might be very, very surprised. Or actually, if you've been listening to the show for a pretty long time, uh, recently just watched uh, Christmas Vacation for the first time uh, with Chevy Chase. Uh, I only really knew the guy. Most recently, I, it's funny, I'd started uh, up a new uh, run-through of uh, Community, the show, the sitcom Community. Really good show. Uh, well, it has some highs and lows, but it is a good show um, to play, at least play in the background. Um, first time that uh, I saw Christmas Vacation, and uh, I mean, it's good. <laughs> it's it's not bad. It's not bad as far as Christmas movies go that are, I mean, I think the worst Christmas movie-themed movie that I have seen this season alone uh, would probably be that uh, that Lindsay Lohan one on Netflix. Boy, that was just really terrible. Not to not to rehash that. That was an old episode. Um, not worth your time, uh, in my personal opinion. But if you do like uh, stereotypical, easily predictable rom-coms, uh, then sure, go go for it. Go go check that movie out. Um, honestly, and it might be recency bias, but still, uh, Violent Night's going to be my, my top Christmas movie at the moment. Uh, there's even a reference in there about Die Hard, which obviously Christmas movie, uh, in my own personal opinion. Uh, but whatever it may be, whatever your uh, Christmas movie may be, I hope you guys are cuddling up next to the fire, the TV right now, and uh, watching it. I I personally don't necessarily watch holiday theme like Christmas movies or anything. I always like to go back to my favorite TV shows and watch the themed episodes of that. So like 
I'll go back and watch the themed episode, the Christmas episode of Scrubs, uh, or the you know the themed Christmas episode of that '70s show. Uh, ooh, speaking of which, if you have not already, uh, a new trailer dropped for that '90s show, uh, showing all the all the usual suspects from that '90s or that '70s show rather. Uh, well, all of them, not, a lot of them, a lot, the, the most of the main players, uh, obviously Hyde's character not returning. Um, thankfully. I think I was thinking about it. I think it's probably pretty easy to write Danny Masterson's character out of the show. Um, just just looking at who Hyde's character was, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. It, it's it's very easy to just write off that you know Hyde's in jail or something like that, um, and just kind of move past that so we don't have to linger on Danny Masterson's character. That being said, that does suck. I do like Danny Masterson's character. Uh, Hyde was one of my favorites in that '70s show, so that, it does suck that he kind of went off the rails and uh, and not making some very poor choices. But I am excited for this. I, I keep saying to myself like I. I need this to be good. I need that 90s show to be good. Um, that 70s show was such a huge part of my childhood. i uh, getting home from school. It was always something that was on like spike TV or something like that. Um, always loved watching it. So really excited for that. Uh, going back to, to holiday stuff. Yeah. I, I go back to shows. I just like, I like theme shows. In fact, uh, I was just thinking as I was putting together today's script, I might go back and watch the, uh, Christmas, uh, edit, hol- the Christmas holiday version, uh, the episode for letter Kenny. Um, that one always makes me laugh. I think that one's pretty, that one's pretty good, uh, where, where he sits on Wayne's lap and, uh, gets presents. Oh, well, it's tradition. So <laughs> I love that. I think there's even a new season come out here pretty soon. So, uh, letter candy fans out there, definitely, uh, keep your eyes peeled for, uh, a new season coming up on that. But other than that, folks, uh, I think that's probably enough from me. Uh, just been sitting here rambling about holiday stuff. I know that, uh, everybody's got, God, I was just. I was just seeing uh, flights. I mean, if you're I, first off, if you're planning on traveling for the holidays, like I hope you're smart enough to do it beforehand. I I personally just don't recommend it. Like don't don't travel. Like just don't travel. Um, don't do it for the holidays. It seems like that's that is something that's a very bad idea. Um, especially you combine weather with the, the number of people that are at the airports. It, it's just a bad idea. Um. But I just saw that, you know, SeaTac right now uh, is just having a hell of a time getting people out of there uh, with all the weather. So um, hopefully, hopefully people that aren't stuck in the airport, as somebody who did a lot of flying when I was younger, uh, it can, it can, uh, it, you spend, you find a little, you find ways to keep your sanity in an airport when you're waiting for a flight um, more often than not. So um, hopefully uh, those folks that are in the airports, they, they get where they need to go or they, they make the most out of being stuck in SeaTac. Uh, God, don't miss that anymore. Don't miss, uh, don't miss flying all that much, uh, getting stuck in airports as that, as that goes. All right, folks, here we go. Without further ado, we're going to jump into our interview with Idaho Transportation Department Public Information Officer, Megan Johns. Megan, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, we are talking winter driving once again. Uh, no construction projects going on. I, I think it'd be kind of tough to do construction projects in, in the snow and the cold right now, right? I would think so, and I certainly couldn't be paid enough money to go stand out there and do construction work. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be awfully miserable, I think. Uh, I don't know how anybody do it. So um, with the winter weather, with the cold weather, you guys are shifting your focus to just maintaining the roads. Um, with the, with the recent cold, really cold, like coldest we've seen in quite a while temperatures, uh, combined with some, some, I don't know, I guess this would classify as heavy snow, right? I, yeah, moderate snow, maybe if the weather service was here, they'd tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Moderate, moderate to heavy snow. 
Um, how's that, just in general, how's that been so far keeping up with all of it? You know, the extreme cold is something different, not necessarily for us, but just out of our routine. When our salt products that we use to keep the roads bare and wet during storms, they only work really well to a certain temperature. And after that, they're not as cost effective. So we kind of have to change our strategies to match the storm, which is what we do with every storm. But in this case, it's finding different products or not using certain products while it's this cold. Gotcha. Well, and, and and I mean, ITD probably doesn't have an issue with it, but uh, finding, I just know from, from a personal standpoint, finding any sort of uh, ice melt or salt uh, is, is pretty hard to come by right now. Yes, and that's why we put our orders in a long, long time ago. There you go. There you go. You guys have a pretty good stockpile of that stuff? Yeah, we do. It's one of those products that they're it's pretty expensive to buy salt. So we try to only buy as much as we need to get through the winter. We don't want to sit on a stockpile, but we're constantly looking at, okay, what's the weather doing? How much did we use last year? Things like that. Just to make sure we're using the minimum amount possible to keep the roads nice and not sitting on a bunch of money that we may need for other things. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So with the colder temperatures and the the moderate, combine that with the snow that's, you know, for once in, it seems like a decade, snow's sticking around. Um, how does that, how does that change up your tactics and, uh, how do you go about, you know, combating that? Yeah. So when it's really cold, our standard salt products, which is really just, you know, solid salt or like a liquid briny solution, those don't work as well at lower temperatures. So sometimes you'll see different formant areas switch to just using like sand to help drivers get some traction on the roadway. You may also see us pull out more advanced products. Now, they're still essentially a form of salt, but um, they have different names like Ice Slicer and Boost, and they're colorful. They're the salt you can really see on the road. So we're just looking at the weather, seeing what's coming in, trying to put out what's going to be cost-effective and not create a problem later. This time of year, if we put down, you know, like a, a brine, which is a liquid salt solution on the road, that water that we're adding can refreeze, right? It can dilute the salt and refreeze. Sure. So it's all a calculation on what's the weather now, what's it going to be in two days, what do we need to do to keep the roads bare and wet and safe. And I, far be it from me, I'm definitely not an expert, but when, when we have these cold temperatures and then when it rapidly heats up, that's that's the perfect uh, perfect storm for potholes, right? That is a great storm for potholes. That is also great for um, flooding events or... Yeah, mainly flooding, you know, when that water comes down and the ground's frozen because we had a deep freeze last week, that has nowhere to go. So I think next week we could see a lot of activity. Gotcha. Even, I know that you guys have dealt with some washouts in the past as well. Yes, everyone's hearkening back to, oh, the winter of 1996 and 97, I want to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The ice storm 96. (laughs) Yes. So hoping we're not going to see that again, but... Certain people out there are suspecting this might be a, a rowdy winter. Well, so far, I mean, we're not even into the new year yet, and we're uh, we're seeing these weather patterns. So maybe this is maybe this is just uh, a foreshadowing of things to come. Yeah, maybe definitely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, you guys sent out a press release recently. Um, it seems like we even talked about it on the last last time you were on as well. But uh, snowplow strikes um, been an issue. Yes, and even today's Friday, let's see, as of last Friday, we had five plow strikes in the state. And since then, we've doubled that number. We're now sitting at 10 strikes. So that's people usually passing on the right or losing control and just running into us. Is that, and how many of those up here in the the northern areas? 
So out of the 10 in the, across the state so far, four of them have been in Kootenai County. Oh, wow. Three of which happened just on Tuesday. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, it's unprecedented. I had like law enforcement call me and be like, um, Megan, I've worked here for decades and I don't remember this happening. And we're like, same, three in one day. That's absolutely nuts. Well, and as we kind of chatted about it before, but I mean... Not only is that not safe for you making making a physical contact with a snowplow, but I mean, once that puts that plow out of commission for a little bit. Yes, like at a very minimum, you know, we have to stop what we're doing, go get the plow, haul it back to the shop to inspect it, and make sure it's working, and that's assuming there's no repairs, and then we get it back on the road. Some of the trucks that were hit this week, um, one's not on the road, and it won't be for the rest of winter. And will that will that? I mean, will that hinder snowplow efforts? Yes, absolutely. It will just take the resources we had already dedicated to stretch of highway and spread it even thinner. Uh, and we're going to do our best to keep up and like just move resources where we need to. But there aren't a lot of plow trucks just lying around ready to be bought in the middle of winter, much less customized for the work we need them to do in Idaho. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, as far as, you know, road conditions and everything, we know that we've, uh, we've, we've talked about it, you know, every time, it seems like every time that we talk, um, the passes are always an issue. And then certain spots, uh, when you're heading north and south, um, have you guys seen that those trouble spots, you know, rear in their head or has been, had things been okay? You know, I think the main trouble spot and that should be top of mind for anyone traveling would be anytime you're going over a mountain pass. We just saw a closure earlier this week where we had so many slide offs that our plows couldn't get through and maintain the road in the meantime. So ISP had to shut it down so that our plows could get some alone time on the road to get it prepared for people to start driving again. So anytime you're going over a pass, try to plan your travel around the storm. If you can wait a day or go a day earlier, that's what I would do. There you and go. then, of course, check 511 and see what it's like before you head out so you can give yourself some extra time. Absolutely. All right, Megan, anything else you want to throw in there? Oh, I just thinking of the holiday weekend. We'll have a lot of people traveling about. Just got to push that reminder. 511 is the app. You can download on your phone. It has cameras. Just plan some extra time. Don't be in a rush. If you find a plow, don't pass them. Just give them space to do their jobs. And that way, everyone can make it where they need to go. Love it. Love it. All right, Megan. I think that's it. Thanks again for coming on. And uh, everybody drive safe out there. Yes, please. All right. Thanks. Thanks. The family-owned English Funeral Chapel in Post Falls and Coeur d'Alene has been serving the local community for over 80 years. Their compassionate team and licensed funeral professionals know that each service is as unique as the person or family planning it. They can accommodate your needs with skill and flexibility, create unique and meaningful ways to help you honor the life of your loved one, and help you through one of life's most challenging times with dignity and respect. English Funeral Chapel is now offering aquamation, also called water cremation, Aquamation is a gentle, eco-friendly alternative to flame cremation. Just like with traditional methods, water cremation is a method of final disposition that reduces the body to essential elements, which are then returned to the family. However, no flames are used during the water cremation process, making it a more natural choice. Originally developed by the Mayo Clinic, this revolutionary process is now available at, to the general public through the English Funeral Chapel. For more information, call 1208-773-3425 for the Post Falls location or 1208-664-3143 for the Coeur d'Alene location. You can also visit their website at www.englishfuneralchapel.com. 
All right, folks, time to jump into some Coeur d'Alene Post Falls Press headlines for Wednesday, December 21st. Uh, fair warning, folks, some NIC talk once again in here. Um, I really wish that I didn't have to keep reading headlines about uh, North Idaho College and the troubles they're having, but here we are. All right, moving on. First story, council, mayor to receive raises. This is by Bill Bealney. The Coeur d'Alene City Council on Tuesday approved drafting an ordinance to raise the salaries of city council members and the mayor effective January 2024. Quote, this topic always seems seems self-serving when you have a bunch of elected officials up here talking about our salary, said council member Christy Wood. I think it's important when you're dealing with salaries of elected officials, you have to keep up with inflation just like everything else you do. By a 6-0 vote, the council said yes to increasing its pay from the first time since 2017 to $1,250 a month, up from $1,000. It also agreed to increase the mayor's salary by $250 a month, which would bring it to $2,950 from $2,700. But the mayor's pay could go higher. The mayor's office last received a raise in 2009. In 2017, then-Mayor Steve Widmeyer, quote, requested no increase to the mayoral salary. The council wants to know the salary amount Widmere declined, increase the mayor's salary to, quote, where it should have been, and then add $250. Quote, I think there was a number, council member Kiki Miller said. Wood said Mayor Jim Hammond, quote, inherited something he never agreed to. It also approved a cost of living escalator clause that would boost elected uh, officials' pay in correlation to the city staff raises. Wood said the council's and mayor's pay would be, would, was below a number of cities in the state. Council member Dan English suggested a raise of $350 a month for council members and said the mayor's salary could be $3,500. Quote, I like nice round numbers, he said. Hammond said the council raises are, quote, not any different than water rates or sewer rates where you put them off. Wood said raises are necessary. She said council members serve on numerous committees on their own time and at their own costs. Quote, I believe it's our role to look out for the people that are going to be interested in these seats in five or ten years from now, she said. We can't keep going backward. Councilmember Woody McEvers said he recalled being on planning and zoning and it was, quote, a big deal when they got a pizza. (laughs) Quote, that was the appreciation for doing the time, doing the service, he said. Okay, all right, that's fair. Miller said if a price tag was put on the additional hours they serve away from meetings, it would come out to about $5 an hour. Oof. She said they often pay their own way to attend events on the city's behalf, and it can be expensive. Quote, you do pay a lot out of pocket to have the privilege of having the privilege to serve, she said. It's a privilege to serve. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's that's pretty low pay. Uh, I'm not necessarily one for making uh, government employees, uh, you know, just rich off the taxpayers, but uh, that's, that's pretty low, I would say, in, in the grand scheme of things, especially with the cost of everything going up. Moving on, it's been a good year. This is by Devin Weeks. In true educator fashion, Post Falls School District Superintendent Dina Nakarado gave Post Falls Chamber of Commerce members an assignment as one of her first actions as the new chamber chair. Quote, for the next few minutes, we want to discuss how to strengthen the business education partnership in Post Falls, Nakarado said Tuesday. She instructed attendees of the Chamber's Connect for Lunch, an annual meeting held at the Red Lion Hotel Templins on the river, to think about how potential employees demonstrate they're prepared to work and that they will be assets to an organization. After a few minutes, she asked everyone to write those ideas on note cards found on the tables, soon to be shared with high school teachers. She also asked attendees if their business w- businesses work with Post Falls High or the Kootenai Technical Education Campus, or KTEC. She prompted them to exchange insights, if so. If not, she asked them to brainstorm various ways their organizations can interact with high school students. 
She said Post Falls students need more apprenticeship opportunities, both paid and unpaid. Quote, they need to be exposed to the job opportunities that exist in our area so they realize that they do not need to move out of an area to have a fulfilling career and a living wage, Nakarada said. Experience and awareness will translate into qualified, dedicated employees for our local businesses. She said her vision for the chamber in the coming year is to increase the opportunities for the school districts to partner with the business community. Nakarado accepted the baton of leadership from outgoing chair Eric Knudsen. Quote, it doesn't feel like it's been a whole year since I was up here talking, taking the gavel from Julie Holt, Knutson said. This year has definitely flown by. Before concluding his tenure, Knutson shared good news about the Chamber's accomplishments in the past year, including implementing new vision and mission statements for the Chamber, which are, quote, to be the catalyst for business prosperity and quality of life in our community. And, quote, through innovation, education, and collaboration, we create a positive business environment for the community to prosper. He reported a growth in Chamber membership, up from 400 this time last year into now 457 members. 75 members joined in 2020, 2022 rather, giving the Chamber a membership retention rate of 85.5%. The Chamber celebrated 15 ribbon-cutting ceremonies and two groundbreakings. That's pretty good. Not, not surprised with the growth that we have up here. The River City market experienced a 69% revenue increase. Nice. He said one of the biggest accomplishments were in Post Falls over the opening of the uh, Idaho State Veterans Home Post Falls. Red Lion Templins on the River was also honored with the Chamber's Chair Award for its excellence in food and service through the years. Post Falls Director of Parks and Recreation Dave Fair was the recipient of the President's Award, presented by Post Falls Chamber President Christina Pettit. Pettit also presented Knutson with a special clock award for his service as the chamber chair. She said Knutson has been a great leader. She said last year he talked about leading the chamber into the future. Quote, you led us through a lot of new things with the chamber and you sat next to, my, next to my side during some very difficult conversations, Pettit said to Knutson. I'm so glad to keep you one more year on the executive committee, so you're going, not going too far, but I just want to give you this token of my appreciation for your time and service with us. The Chamber is presently accepting nominations for Big and Small Businesses of the Year, Citizen of the Year, Volunteer of the Year, and the Spirit of Post Falls to be announced February 9th during the Post Falls Chamber's 2023 Community Recognition Event. For more information, visit postfallschamber.com. Uh, Dina Nakarado, fantastic person, um, was, a, was a pretty strict vice principal and then later principal while I was attending Post Falls High School. Uh, but no, she's, she's awesome. She's great. Moving on. Here we go. Getting into it, folks. Brace yourselves. Suit filed against NIC trustees attorney. This is by Kay Thornbrew. The former city attorney for Coeur d'Alene has filed a lawsuit against North Idaho College accusing three trustees and the college's new attorney of fraud and violating Idaho's open meeting laws. Huh. Mike Gridley, who retired in March of tw uh, March after 20 years with the city, filed the lawsuit Friday in his capacity as Kootenai County ta as a Kootenai County taxpayer. The civil complaint names trustee Greg McKenzie, Mike Wagner, and Todd Banducci as defendants, as well as the college's attorney, Art McCumber. Gridley has asked the court to nullify any illegal actions made by the three trustees and forbid McCumber from practicing law in the county. Boy, those are some stiff, some stiff pushes. Quote, the trustees at North, at North Idaho College and their lawyer have failed miserably in the simplest of open meeting laws, said Gridley, who estimates he participated in around 500 public meetings. That's it. He referred to multiple possible open meeting law violations that occurred during board meetings uh, meetings this week of December 5th, which trustees are expected to attempt to correct when they convene tonight. 
uh, that night, rather. We'll get there. The alleged violations include McCumber's hiring, which occurred December 5th. Trustees voted 3-2 to two to hire McCumber on the spot without prior notice or notation in the me meeting agenda. In order to hire McCumber, trustees suspended NIC policies that required legal services to be put out for bid. Hmm. Banducci produced a fee agreement, which he and McCumber both claimed he had written. Okay. Days later, McCumber revealed during another meeting that he himself had penned the fee agreement, as well as two resolutions passed by trustees December 5th. So, so if I get this right, normally this would go out for bid and they would weigh pros and cons of different lawyers and, the, and how much they're asking. They suspended this and then allowed the one guy that they considered to pen his own amount of money. Very curious. McCumber donated to the political campaigns of three trustees who voted to hire him as NIC's attorney, the lawsuit notes. In 2020, he donated $750 to Banducci and $250 to McKenzie. This year, he donated $250 to Wagner. Quote, they didn't disclose prior communications or how they set it up to get this guy in, Gridley said. That's fraud on the taxpayers. This stinks, he added. It smells. It's not right. Well, I... Kind of agree. Idaho Rule of Professional Conduct 7.6 prohibits any attorney from accepting a governmental legal engagement or appointment if the lawyer makes a political contribution for the purpose of obtaining or being considered for such appointment. Gridley also alleges that McCumber is not qualified or eligible to be NIC's attorney. Last April, the lawsuit asserts McCumber sold his law firm and promised not to practice in the areas of real estate and contracts within 500 miles of Coraline in accordance with Idaho Rule of Professional Conduct 1.17. Quote, the first thing the board hired him to do for $325 an hour was to review the president's contract, Gridley said. The going rate for attorneys practicing educational or municipal law in the Coeur d'Alene area is around $200 an hour, Gridley said, which is what the college's previously attorney earned. Okay, so over $150 an hour over anybody else. Cool. Gridley has also filed a grievance to bar counsel from the Idaho State Bar Associate, uh, based on McCumber's alleged ethical violations. As an attorney and as a Kootenai County taxpayer, Gridley said he felt obligated to file the lawsuit because elected officials must be transparent to their con constituents. Quote, people need to play by the rules, including lawyers and elected officials, Gridley said. If they chose not to do the right thing, they will be dealing with me and others every single day. There's no doubt. To read the full complaints, you can visit thecourtlanepress.com. Okay, well, sounds like this was kind of inevitable, inevitable rather, as we as we moved up closer to this. All right, jumping in Thursday, December twenty second headlines. Here we go, continuing on. NIC trustees hire interim president. Oh boy, really, really doubling down. This is also by Kay Thornbrew. North Idaho College now has two presidents, one on administrative leave and a newly hired interim president. By a vote of three to two, trustees approved an employment contract for Greg South to serve as the college's acting president while Nick Swain remains on administrative leave. Trustees Brad Corkill and Terry Zimmerman cast the dissenting votes. Quote, I've read the contract, Corkill said. I believe it's $235,000. I think there's a $35,000 signing bonus. There's a $27,000 moving allowance. I think there's a three thousand dollar a month housing allowance on this we're already we already have a president why are we hiring another one he said it was an irresponsible use of taxpayer dollars south's annual pay is five thousand dollars more than swain's which trustee Todd banducci has reportedly criticized as exorbitant okay 
<laughs> okay. South's month ho- monthly housing stipend is also $500 more than Swain's. Quote, if you look at the accreditation requirements and recommendations, that is to have an active president at the helm, and that is the board's main point of contact, main interface, only interface. And so this is the essential for the NIC that we have a candidate for president as such, said Trustee Greg McKenzie. I'm saying a lot there without saying anything. Zimmerman said she thinks the community wants transparency and that the process of hiring South lacked that. I would say that this is very akin to the process of how they hired the lawyer. Uh, never never heard about this individual kind of even being considered for this until, until this story came out. South was an interim dean of instruction at North Idaho College for several months in 2021. The board did not reveal he was the prospective hire until just before they voted to approve his employment contract, with which McKenzie said he ha- had been negotiated by attorney Art McCumber. Quote, we were provided with one candidate rather than a few to choose from, Zimmerman said. I think that would have offered more transparency. The contract is fiscally irresponsible. Hundreds of people gathered in the Schuler Performing Arts Center on the NIC campus Wednesday night for the meeting. Community members addressed the board during the public comment section. Most criticized recent actions by trustees, especially putting Swain on administrative leave through a few, exp- though few, a few expressed blanket support for the board's majority and suggested that turmoil at NIC is due to, quote, the relentless assault by the left. Okay. The board also took steps to cure the open meeting violations that occurred during meetings on December 5th and December 8th. Trustees acknowledged in several motions that the board committed various open meeting violations and that related actions were null and void. That included accepting the resignation of former college attorney Mark Lyons, hiring Art McCumber as a new attorney, suspending board policies, creating a hiring freeze for president's cabinet members, and taking action on items not on the agenda without declaring an emergency, and placing Swain on administrative leave. The board then voted to accept the resignation of Lyons and hire McCumber, with Corkill and Zimmerman voting against the measure. Quote, I can't bring myself to vote for a law firm that is currently being reviewed by the state bar, Corkill said, referring to a grievance filed uh, recently filed on base of McCumber's alleged ethical violations. Trustees also voted to return Swain to administrative leave. McKenzie said the open meeting violations were not intentional, and later in the, bo- in the meeting, the board agreed to seek training on the state's open meeting laws. He apologized for his behavior at some past meetings. Quote, I pledge to hold myself and the board to a high standard of respect and professionalism and expect the same from all, McKenzie said. Mm. Uh, saying one thing, saying something and doing something uh, is, is definitely uh, two different things. In a split vote, the board voted to explore the possibility of switching from the Northwest Athletic Conference to the National Junior College Athletic Association. Corkill abstained from the vote, citing a lack of familiarity with the matter, while Zimmerman cast the sole no vote. Trustees also approved a motion from Banducci for the president to review, consider, and make a recommendation regarding adding women's wrestling to the 2023-2024 season, with the board, quote, willing to open the budget to support such a program. Banducci said women's wrestling is a fast-growing collegiate sport and increasingly popular in the Northwest. He believes the program would draw 30 to 40 female wrestlers in the first year, including athletes from the Spokane area, thus boosting NIC's enrollment. Their support for a women's wrestling program at the booster club level Banducci said, as well as from at least one NIC coach. Quote, we won't be offering any scholarships, he said. Every one of those young ladies who's coming to wrestle will be paying their way, and they'll want to do it. Okay. Corkio questioned the timing of the action, given NIC's ongoing accreditation woes. Quote, I want to make sure that if we move forward with this, that we have a college for them to go to, he said. 
Banducci also moved for the president to review and make a recommendation related to the pay of the entire athletic department, with the board also willing to open the budget for the athletic improvement. He said the move is important because athletics help drive enrollment, which is flagging uh, fla- flagging at NIC. Oh boy. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sidestep that one. Here we go. Moving in. Friday, December 23rd, headlines of vested interest. This is by Bill Bealey. Deuce has been involved in about 150 uh, felony arrests this year and about 25 captures of suspects resisting arrest. Lord has been involved in about 30 felony arrests over the past two months and about 10 suspect captures. Not bad for a couple of dogs. The two Belgian shepherds are, quote, invaluable members of the Kootenai County Sheriff's Office canine units. They can detect drugs, catch criminals, track lost people, and sniff out evidence. Quote, they're incredible dogs, said Donna Shepard, president of the Coeur d'Alene Dog Fran- Fanciers, rather, that on Wednesday donated $3,600 to the canine teams. Quote, they do a valuable service to our community. Both dogs were wearing muzzles and bulletproof vests when the group presented the check at KCSO. The custom-fitted vests last about five years, cost about $3,500 each, and aren't standard equipment but are funded via donations. Deuce's partner, Deputy Robert Imthern, said his canine companion since June of 2021 is a great crime fighter. Deuce will need Deuce rather will need a new one in about two and a half years, and it's critical that he has protective gear. Ithern Imthern rather said as they sometimes pursue violent suspects with weapons. At 69 pounds, Deuce is intimidating and few want to face him, quickly giving up when told if they don't surrender, he'll be coming for them. Quote, they are vital to our high-risk stuff, he said. Likewise for Lord, whose partner is Deputy Gabriel Jolene, 42-pound Lord recently got his vest. The donation from folks like Coeur d'Alene Dog Fanciers provides funds for the vests, muzzles, and collars for their canine partners. Quote, they're a great tool, but great tools have high needs, said Jolene, who has been Lord's handler about six months. The county's investment in crime-fighting canines is substantial. A dog training can cost co- uh, can cost around $25,000. But they are well worth it, Nelson said. They respond to about 5 to 10 calls a day, including for other agencies, and what and are what Nelson called a, quote, force multiplier, capable of multiple tasks from detection to apprehension and finding a missing person. Quote, it's not always going after bad guys, Nelson said. The Coeur d'Alene dog fanciers want to, want to help after hearing the canine units had to, had to buy their own protective gear. It raised money through training classes, drawings, and its recent Christmas party auction. Silent auction contributors included Mountain, Mountain View Veterinary Clinic, Hayden Pet Medical Center, Breakthrough Martial Arts, and Popular Companions Pet Supplies. Their combined donations totaled over $1,300, Mansfield said. Well, that's awesome. Canines, uh... Canines, with any law enforcement, I, I wrote about them quite extensively out in Shoshone. Uh, very vital part uh, of any department. Uh, very useful for drug detection and apprehension. Definitely. Absolutely. Home of the lowest prices on all things outdoors since 1975, Black Sheep Sporting Goods is your one-stop shop for all your camping, fishing, hunting, and clothing needs. Open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Check out Black Sheep's location in the Silver Lake Mall. Be sure to grab an entry form from any cashier for Black Sheep's annual big game event. All big game entries must be harvested between August 31st and December 24th, so one day left, folks, one day. Prizes will be awarded by random drawing. Size of rack doesn't determine a winner, and the entry must meet all state and federal laws. 
Black Sheep Sporting Goods, award-winning selection and customer service since 1975. All right, folks, going to jump in real quick here to some Bonner County Daily Bee headlines coming out of Sandpoint. Starting with Wednesday, December 21st, headline, A Fine Cause. This is by Bo White Eagle. The season of giving is in full swing as Kootenai Elementary students and teachers give back to families with a tradition that goes back more than a decade. With Collection for a Cause, Kootenai Elementary does its part to ease seasonal stress. The program provides selected families with nutritional breakfasts and lunches for the two-week winter holiday break, as well as a Christmas dinner. Coming packed full, the boxes provide breakfast and lunches that don't require a stove or oven, and each meal comes complete with all of the ingredients needed. Quote, this is such an amazing program with over a decade of history, Kristen Hawkins, Lake Ponderay School District Communications Liaison said. Speaking of a little friendly competition among every classroom in the school, the program has each class participate in an annual change drive, with proceeds going toward the purchase of the meals. This year's drive began immediately after Thanksgiving break in late November and generated more than $2,200 in funds in less than two weeks. Officially ending on December 8th, the success seen in that short time prompted Kootenai Elementary's principal, Kelly Knowles to extend the drive, adding two days. Now ending December 10th, the decision proved to uh, to be a success and resulted in a grand total of $3,574. Quote, we are using this fundraiser as a lesson. We are growing hearts and minds here at Kootenai Elementary, Knowles said. Starting 11 years ago, Collection for a Cause is a favorite of students and has even gained the attention of local businesses and community members who don't have children who attend the school. One community member donated $2,500 and Sweet Lou's pitched in with wholesale turkeys. Sparked by the concern of former Kootenai Elementary teacher Kayla French, the program offers parents a solution to the question, what can my child prepare while I'm at work? A question French and many other staff members heard often, Knowles said. Over the years, the program has grown from serving 10 families to this year serving 24 families, which still doesn't come close to the record of 38 families. Sounds like a great program. Glad these things are going on in communities all across North Idaho and beyond. Moving on, Thursday, December 22nd headlines. Give and Take. This is by Carolyn Lobsinger. What started as a sparsely decorated tree in the middle of the Sandpoint Library lobby has blossomed into the embodiment of the Christmas spirit. The tree is the home of the East Bonner County Library District's Ornament Exchange. The brainchild of artist Lynn Walters, it allows anyone to bring or take an ordinate from the tree as a way to spread cheer in Christmas spirit. When Walters came to them with the idea, East Bonner County Library District Director Victor Soberg and Public Information Officer Brendan Bobby immediately jumped on board, created a sign, and placed it by the tree. It is, Soberg said, a great fit for the library because its commitment to both resource sharing and fostering community connections. Quote, whether you are giving away an ornament or picking one up, the tree in our lobby is fulfilling its new purpose of transmitting holiday cheer from neighbor to neighbor. Soberg said the library plans to make the ornament exchange an annual tradition. While the first week was a little slow as words had spread, more ordinance, um, ornaments boy, I am struggling with that word, are finding a temporary home on the tree while others are finding their way to new ones. While some have brought ornaments to add to their tree in other cases, they are made or painted at the library. That was the case with a number of local youths, youths, who painted ornaments in a teen lounge before adding them to the tree, Bobby said. Quote, it appears that in the last week or so, the Christmas spirit has really hit the community, and they've poured their heart and soul into decorating it, he added. 
Any of the ornaments on the tree are free to take or exchange. If you see one you like, you're welcome to take it. No questions asked, Bobby said. If you have an ornament and what you want to add to it, anyone is more than welcome to come and place one on the tree for others to take. Walters got the idea from a social media post where someone suggested placing a geocache under a Christmas tree. She was captivated, she said, but wanted something indoors where the ornaments would be safe and protected until they were adopted by their new owners. She loves the thought that the ornaments will find a new home instead of sitting unused in a box or on a shelf or a thrift store somewhere. Walters loves seeing the tree but admits that she always thought it looked, quote, a little naked without any ornaments. So when she was sorting through some of her art supplies, she found ornaments as part of a Sandpoint Teen Center arts project. After taking talking to the library staff, Walters brought along the ornaments on her next trip to town and hung them on the tree. While she said it's hard to say if anyone really needs ornaments, the tiny treasures have a unique way to, of capturing memories and celebrating what makes each person unique. She loves how they capture a moment in time, whether it's an ornament that holds a photograph of a loved one, a loved one or one that recalls a special time in a person's life. Walters estimates that her ornament collection at several hundred decorations, all of which recall special memories from the gingerbread people to those given as a gift. She also makes ordinance ornaments from stainless uh, stained glass creations to ones blending glass, rocks, and wire. Those she gives away, some to friends, some left in places where those needing a lift will find them. This year, some of the ornaments were placed on the on the library's tree. Bobby said the library may keep some of the custom ornaments to help jumpstart the ornament exchange next year. Libraries open from uh, December 22nd from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Friday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It will close Saturday and Monday for the Christmas holiday. Sounds like a very cool program. What is your relationship status with your bank? It's time to go steady with Bank CDA. You want local, you want flexible, you want Bank CDA. To learn more, please visit bankcda.com. All right, folks, jumping into Shoshone News Press headlines from Friday, December 23rd. Headline, Zimmerman, Dose, Dispel Pay Cut Rumors. This is by Josh McDonald. The two months between the general election and when newly elected or re-elected officials take office in January can be a time of unrest as many people wonder what changes might be in store under new leadership. Commissioner-elects Jeff Zimmerman and David Dose have been preparing for their upcoming terms by undergoing several different training courses that prepare them for the rigors of their new positions. However, they both felt compelled to reach out to the community and attempt to dispel a rumor that has allegedly been circulating throughout Shoshone County Courthouse and the rest of the county. Quote, I have been hearing from county personnel and elected, and elected officials that there is a lot of concern about potential pay cuts in the new year, Dose said. They say they have been hearing unpleasant rumors to that effect. Those rumors were also circulating during the election, probably to try and persuade some voters, but I'm not sure why they are circulating now except to disrupt county workflow and morale. I have talked with my newly elected colleague, Jeff Zimmerman, at length over the past few months and have talked with the current commissioner, Ms. Cass uh, Mrs. Cassidy, and nobody is talking about any pay cuts for county employees. That's good to hear. Zimmerman was also not thrilled when he realized that these rumors had circulated during the election and then resurfaced again after. Quote, I have never expressed any plans to cut wages, Zimmerman said. I know the value of good employees and the costs associated. I will have an open-door policy with all county employees and believe teamwork is essential. We all have some uh, the same goal, and that is to do our best in serving the residents of Shoshone County. 
Both Zimmerman and Dose have plans in place for their first 100 days in office, and both of them center around transparency for the BOCC. Ideas like live-streaming BOCC meetings, improving and, up and updating technology to allow residents in more remote areas of the county to improve accessibility. Quote, I also want to look into website into the website our Idaho State Controller has built that can, can contain all local government budgets. I believe we should take advantage of anything that will help the public access public records, especially if it is at no cost to our county, Zimmerman told the news press. The website is, trans is www.transparent.idaho.gov. The public can also monitor our state government spending as well. Kind of a one-stop shop that, that the public can use to see where their tax dollars are being spent. Dose also mentioned that he would like to, quote, help get county spending under control to the point we can hold and lower taxes next year. People are telling me they can't afford to keep seeing increases in taxes. Dose served as commissioner in the 90s and told the news press that while the job still is centered around serving the people of Shoshone County, many of the processes that are required to do so have changed, hence the large amount of training that both he and Zimmerman are participating in. Dose and Zimmerman will officially be sworn into office on the morning of Monday, January 9th at 10 a.m. All right, moving on. Local kids shop with a cop for seventh year. I wrote this one. What better way to do some holiday shopping than with a police escort? That's the opportunity that 91 Silver Valley kids had this last weekend when they participated in the 7th annual Shop with a Cop program. Held on both Saturday and Sunday, members of local law enforcement agencies met up with the participating kids at the Shoshone County Fire District Number 1 Firehouse in Osborne and treated them to a little shopping spree to help spread some holiday cheer. From the firehouse, kids piled into many, in the many patrol cars available for them and got to ride in style to Walmart in Smelterville. Once they arrived, the children were paired up with a deputy or officer and then sent loose in the store. Each child had a budget of $100 to spend on whatever they wanted for themselves or others. As the kids searched for gifts, their assigned officer or deputy would help them decide what to get and keep track of how much money they had spent. Similar to years past, items purchased included a variety of different things, from clothing and tools to toys and electronics. Nothing was off the table. Once their items were selected and the march through the checkout line was complete, everybody in the, poli uh, everybody in the police cars headed back to the firehouse, where more fun was waiting. Volunteers were on hand to help kids wrap up their presents and treat them with a pizza party. Special guests included Santa himself, Mrs. Claus, and the Grinch, who shockingly, due to the number of ch uh, who shockingly tried to steal Christmas once again. Due to the number of children, OPD had to make the uh, Shop with a Cop program a two-day event, th event three years ago. This means that roughly half the children go on Saturday and the rest go on Sunday. OPD Lieutenant Jason Woody explained that the event continues to grow every year. Quote, everything went great and we're already looking forward to next year. OPD Chief Daryl Broughton would like to thank the various agencies, contributors, and volunteers for doing their part to make this special event happen again. OPD accepts donations to fund the Shop of the Cop program year-round. Their office can be reached at 208-753-9001. All right, folks, rounding out today's show with some Bonners Ferry Herald headlines coming at you from December 22nd. Just a quick one here. Headline, County to Pay to Keep Pool Running for a Year. This is by Emily Bosung. The city pool will stay open for the coming year thanks to the use of the American Rescue Plan Act funds. Boundary County Commissioners approved a request for the funds on Monday from Bonners Ferry Mayor Dick Staples, Councilman Brian Poston, and City Administrator Lisa Alport. Don't be laughing. Don't be laughing. There's nothing funny about Mayor Dick Staples' name. Not a thing. Don't be... Don't laugh! <laughs> okay, it's a little funny, maybe. <laughs> 
Due to an Idaho Supreme Court case ruling, Bonner's Ferry officials announced in October that the city now has a general budget shortfall of approximately $450,000. This is due to the case ruling that utilities cannot be used to fund the general budget. All right, that's it, folks. Once again, we'd like to thank Heckler Mining Company for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about Heckler Mining Company, please visit hecklamining.com. If you're interested in the stories we talked about today or the ones we did not, check us out at www.cordellinepress.com, showshownewspress.com, bondercannondailyb.com, or thebondersferryherald.com. Once again, please subscribe to us on whatever music app or podcatcher that you're listening in on so you can get every episode as soon as it comes out. And folks, have a happy holiday weekend. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever, whatever it may be. Have a good one. Hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.